Okay. Hey, is this on? Hello. Is it on? Okay. Now, I'm not used to this. I'm really nervous, so I always make a mistake. And usually what I do is I stick that out there and talk without it because I'm not used to talking with it. Okay. We have several announcements today. Uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with Robin, if she doesn't mind, and let her talk about Heart to Heart because otherwise I may forget it and she's got it on her mind right now. Thank you. I would have never remembered all that. <laughs> okay, we have several other announcements. Um, prime timers, April 29th at 12 o'clock at Roma's, which is right down here by Papa's Pizza, if you're not familiar with that, it's just right down the road. Um, we still have youth calendars for sale. They've gone discounted since we've already used up part of the year. They're $5, and uh, the money still goes to youth to, to, um, for camp or whatever. So if you need a calendar in any way, shape, or fashion, pick one up and drop $5 in the box, and we'll appreciate that. Um, we need some volunteers for Kids Church for two Sundays. Uh, one is April 23rd, and the other one is May 14th. Uh, Kim is not going to be able to do those two Sundays, and she's graciously, graciously stayed with the Children's Church and youth both all this time while we're out of anybody so if we can help her out with those two, uh, somebody step up, uh, not me, 
<laughs> I'm too old for youth. Not enough patience for kids. But anyhow, somebody that, that has that can step up and do that. I appreciate it. Okay. Um, one thing I want to tell you today, too, is every time we have something, somebody says, well, I didn't get that text. I didn't get that remind. So I want to tell you what to do. We have two systems here at the church. One is for the men, for everything that we do, whether it's eating or working or going and doing or whatever. And that is maintained by Gary Cook. And if you want to get on that system, if you will take your phone to him, Gary Cook, raise your hand, wave at everybody. Take your phone to him. He will graciously hook your phone up onto that system so you can get all the messages that he sends out. And I know a lot of people, they're not on that. And the other one is a church-wide system. And Christy, Christy, raise your hand. She'll help you get hooked up on that. And uh, so and the thing is, you don't have to be a member to be part of that. If you want on that system to know what we're doing here at the church, get with one of these two people, and they will help you get in touch with everybody else. Um, another thing that I had I want to tell you about today is uh, in the morning, <coughs> excuse me, in the morning, we will have an answer from one of the guys that we're talking about. He will either accept our invitation to come and preach. We've made him an invitation. We've made him, we've told him what we pay. He knows where we are. And we will know that sometime tomorrow. He will let us know. And if the answer is yes, we'll arrange it for it to get him in here and whatever. And if the answer is no, well, Obviously, we will move right on to the next person. And um, we have no control whether he wants to come or whether he doesn't. We just do it and pray for God's will in his life, just like we pray for God's will in our life. And the, um, the decision is not up to us. But just so you'll know that we do have somebody looking, and it's not just a dead issue. We're not just sitting around doing nothing. Um, you guys continue to pray. Pray for the people that we ask. Pray for us as we ask. And as a church, pray for God's will in your life if he comes, whether or not you want him. And we just, we just keep on looking, and we expect that God will send exactly the right person. And that when he does, that the spark that we have here now will grow into a fire, and we go into revival and out into the community and do great things. So you all be expecting that because that's what we, as a committee, we're expecting that from the person that we invite. So y'all just keep that in mind. And with that, I'll turn it over to Julie, and she can lead us up. Okay. I'm just going to add something to that remind. If you, if you did at one point get those reminders, we've changed the number. So if you had it in the past, you're not getting the information now, so you need to still see Christy. All right, we're going to worship. Y'all need to get to your feet because we are going to acknowledge the presence of the Lord in this house this morning. Father, we thank you so much, God. We take it as an honor, Father, that you are here every time we come into this sanctuary, God. We do not take that for granted. And Father, help us not to ever take that lightly. It's an honor and a privilege, Lord, to have your presence in this house, God. We thank you this morning, God, in advance for what you're going to do in this service, Father. We give you free reign, God, your will this morning, Lord. Just fill this place with your presence, God. Just anoint us, Father. Just fill this entire sanctuary, God. Overwhelm us, Lord, with your mercy and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead, guys.
Father, we just thank you this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Just keep playing right here for me, please. Father, we are submitting ourselves to you this morning, God. Father, help us to open our hearts and our minds, God, to what you have for us, Lord. Lord, don't let us shut you out today, God. Don't let us miss it, Lord. Don't let us miss our miracle, Father. Don't let us miss our blessing, God, because we shut you out, God.
Sometimes we build such a wall and it's like a strong fortress. Most people don't know about it. We keep it all inside. And after a while, we might get attached to that wall and feel like we can't move on around it or without it. And if we don't ever release just one piece of it, it's going to stay in that same position the whole time and we're going to be hiding behind it. And the Lord showed me that if we just release one piece it makes it a little unstable and if we just release one more piece it's even more unstable and if we submit and give him just one more piece and repeat that 
and repeat that as we build our faith in the name of Jesus, God. Let that wall break up. And eventually that wall is going to crumble and it's going to break. And God's going to be right there on the other side. Father, we thank you this morning, God. We thank you this morning, God, that we can release and let it all break, God. So that you're right there, Father, holding on. Go ahead, guys, with that next song. Take 
name, Lord. We declare holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, the one who was and is and is to come, worthy, worthy to be magnified, worthy to be glorified, worthy, worthy to be exalted. Holy, holy is our God. We worship you. We worship you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. You know, it's great for me to be able to declare to you that our God is the God of breakthroughs. Can you say amen? If you will, in the Old Testament, there's a story of David. And David had, of course, was in a battle, and he was contending with an enemy. And he saw God move in such a way that he named that valley. He called it the Valley of Breakthroughs. The God moved, broke through, and gave him a total victory that day. Uh, I can tell you that my, my brother, he's two years older than me, my brother had a breakthrough about 18 months ago. He was diagnosed with cancer and was going in for surgery. Uh, just before the surgery, they were going to do a, another uh, CAT scan to determine exactly where the tumor was. Uh, the prognosis, what they were talking about, was him being living for the rest of his life with a colostomy. If you know what a colostomy is, that's a bag on the side. And just, that's awful for anyone. Yeah. Can anybody say amen? Uh, I mean, that rakes up pretty high on the yuck scale. You know, that's pretty bad. But my brother went in for the uh, CAT scan to determine exactly where that tumor was because they were getting ready to do the surgery. And when they went in for the CAT scan, 
the tumor is gone. Yeah. And, and I can tell you now, Paula, been about 18 months, two years, two and a half years. Uh, now, he's not sick at all. I, I can tell you, there was no surgery. He has no symptoms. Uh, he's, he's working out, you know, and, and I can tell you that uh, he's going on with his life. Just bought, bought him a brand new Corvette, you know. <laughs> you know that, that's a guy thing, you know. Uh, he brought him a brand new Corvette. He's enjoying life. What I get to tell you is he had a breakthrough. I believe there may be somebody here this morning that you're, you're needing a breakthrough. Now, your, your breakthrough may be a miracle of healing. Your breakthrough may be restoration of a marriage. Your breakthrough may be God to open a door of opportunity of a job. Um, your breakthrough may be deliverance, to be delivered from worry, delivered from fear, delivered from some type attack of an enemy. Just like David, you got an enemy who is attacking you. And what you need is you desperately need a, you need a breakthrough. I want to I want to pray with you and for you. I think by now I think this is our tenth week, Paula, ninth week. Paula's keeping count. <laughs> uh, we've got I-35 memorized. I can tell you where every hiccup is. Where, um, but I want us to have a prayer. You know me by now, and that is we brought anointing oil, and I want to pray for you, because one of the most important things we do in church is pray. In fact, I, I would probably step out and say that's the most important thing we do. Yeah. And the reason why, what did Jesus say? He said, my house should be called what? A house of prayer. And so what he wants us to do when we gather together is pray. And so if you're here this morning, you would like prayer. I'd like for you to just dismiss yourself, come and stand across the front of the church. As you come, other people are gonna just file in behind you to pray for you. And we wanna to touch faith together for your, your breakthrough. God bless you as you come by faith.
Thank you, Father, for every healing. Thank you, Lord, for each breakthrough. The Lord, that moment of your touch, that moment of your, provi your provision, that moment of knowing that you, you took the need and, and that, Lord, you ministered as only you as God can, that breakthrough, the moment of breakthrough. Yes. 
And Father, we give you all the glory. We give you all the honor. Just as you've done it before, Lord, we anticipate you doing it again. And may your name and your name alone receive the glory. May your name and your name alone be magnified, be glorified, and be exalted. It's all about you, Lord. May you be blessed in us. Glory to your name. Great is your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord. God bless your heart, church family. You can be seated. God is so very good. Amen. And when the Lord answers that prayer and gives that breakthrough, come back and tell us. Can you say amen? amen? Come back and tell us. In fact, what I would love for you to do is like this time right here, uh, prior to the preaching, maybe just stand to your feet next week and say, last week God healed me of cancer. Wouldn't that be great? Uh, last week God opened the door and I got a brand new job. You know, whatever that breakthrough, whatever that need, uh, I believe we need to come back and give the glory to God. And make for sure all sees that he, uh, you know, the thing is, if we don't talk about it, people don't think it's happening, you know? And so we do need to come back and say, well, God did that. God did this and God provided there. And, and God has been taking good care of us, hadn't he? he? He's a good God. And that leads us right up to receiving our tithe and offering. Uh, ushers, if you would please prepare yourselves. We want to give back to the Lord just a portion of that that he's blessed us with. Amen. And you've been so faithful in your tithing and your giving. Uh, thank God you've been doing that. Uh, honestly, let me just kind of be, trans I, I try to be transparent with you all the time. But one thing is, is this, you giving during this time without a pastor shows beyond a shadow of a doubt, you're giving not to impress some man. You're, you're giving to provide for this church and to keep the doors open. And what a blessing that is. What a blessing you are to the church in your giving. I'd like to ask Brother Ron. Brother Ron, would you please bless the offering, sir? Amen. Thank you all. Appreciate you very, very, very much. This church is blessed. You're, you're blessed. And, and I'm anticipating the next chapter. Okay. Uh, the book is not over yet. Uh, there's coming an end. Jesus Christ is coming back. And, you know, uh, I did a podcast this week and we talked to a print, uh, I'll mispronounce it probably, apprentice, apprentice. A, it starts with a P, and it, pre, no, preditus. And what that is, is somebody who believes that the raptures already took place. 
And uh, in the podcast, we interacted a little bit, and it'll come out this next Tuesday. What I believe is the earth is not getting better and better. I believe that one day this earth is going to pass away. Uh, Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3 tells me that. And so the reality is I'm looking forward to something far better than this. It's called a new heaven and a new earth. Amen. Amen. Thank God we're going to trade up. It's going to be a good, good place. No I-35. You know, amen. Uh, the I-35 Autobahn. You might know what I mean. Uh, you, you, I, I tell Paula, slap me, get me mad so I can drive on this I-35. <laughs> you got to be mad to drive I-35. You got to be just hacked off, you know, and then, man, then you, you blend right in. <laughs> uh, I, I've got a word for you, and I'm glad I got to get you to laugh because I, I hope you don't get mad next, but because uh, I've got a word that is really specific for all of us. If you would find your Bible, when you find your Bible, when you open it up to the middle, you'll hit Psalm, the book of Psalm, and go back a little bit to your left, and you'll find Job. Uh, no, it's not Job. It's, you know, get a job. It's, it's, no, it's Job. Father, I pray your anointing upon your word, and Father, may your word come alive to every one of our hearts. We want truth. And Lord, when we hear truth, we want our lives to come into a line with your truth. So, Lord, may there be your anointing upon nothing but truth. And then, Lord, may good seed fall upon good soil, and may the produce be exactly what you desire. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, you have to be real careful with Job. Reason being is a large portion of Job is wrong. And the reason I say that is it's the counsel of his friends. When you, when you read Job, and I'm a student of the Word, and I, I love learning, and, and I love studying more and more and more. But when you study Job, you'll find that he has three friends. The three friends are Elphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. What we find is, is they gave counsel to Job, and their counsel was wrong. When you look at the last, in fact, if you got your Bible there, go to Job and go to the very last chapter, and it tells us there that God's wrath, uh, he got literally mad at them. Uh, Job chapter 42, verse 5, he says, I have heard, I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you, therefore I abhor myself. This is Job talking about himself, and I repent in dust and ashes. Verse 7, and so it was after the Lord had spoken these words to Job that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, my wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job is. So the reality is everything that they said, according to God, was wrong. And so he says, my wrath is stirred up against you because you've not spoken about me in the right way. So be real careful when you study Job, because note who's speaking. If it's one of the friends, it's wrong. And it's not anything that you want to quote. You don't want to teach that in Sunday school. Amen. Uh, but I do learn a lot about life, expectations, and Job. When we study the life of Job, we come face to face with a sin that many of us have to deal with. I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to be, again, transparent with you, this is a sin that I have dealt with, and, and it is a constant temptation I have to deal with. It's the sin of Job. I'm going to say probably it's very likely that many of you in this congregation 
are dealing with this sin. It's very likely that Job lived about the same time as Abraham. If you want to do just a little bit of a brief study, I've got to do a little bit of foundation work for you to understand Job. When I read in Job 42 and 16, his lifespan was about the same as Abraham. After all of the terrible things that happened to him, he lived 140 more years. What it tells me is prior to the disaster of his life, he had seven sons and three daughters. That's chapter 1, verse 2. And so he is old enough to have a family. And so my guess is he'd be about, you know, maybe 35, 45 years old. So my guess is, is that he lived about 185 years. If you'll notice with me, Genesis 25 and 7, Abram, Abraham lived 175 years. So most people, most Bible students believe that he is about the same time period as Abraham. Another thing that points to that is Job's wealth was measured in livestock just like Abraham. That's there on the screen behind me. That's Job 1 and 3, Genesis 13 and 2. And then Job 1 and 5, Job performed the priestly duties in his household, placing him prior to the Levitical law. And so we know he was before Moses. So understand with me, you you remember when there was Cain and Abel and there was sacrifices made to God. So there was a seeking of God. There wasn't the clarity that we have of Jehovah God that we have today, but they knew that there was a God and that they wanted to seek Him. We know that if you remember with me, Genesis chapter 6, the flood, after the flood, Noah came and made sacrifices to the Lord. So it's that time period prior to Moses, prior to God revealing Himself to Israel. It's in that time frame that Job lived. I find one mention of Job in the New Testament. So if you have a New Testament, uh, PC, uh, I have a, a, a PC study Bible, and you can go there, and there's one mention of Job in the New Testament. It's in James chapter 11. It says, Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. He's an example of endurance. You've heard of the perseverance of Job, and you've seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate, and God is very merciful. Now, Job stands as an example of enduring suffering and staying committed to God. Uh, He lost his family. He lost his possessions. He lost his health. He lost his position. There's very much good that we see in the life of Job. I'm talking about his sin, and so I don't want you a moment to think I'm bashing Job because I see very much good. And and here, uh, those of you that take pictures of screens, here's a good one to have an understanding of the life of Job. Uh, We see his holy lifestyle was recognized by God because in Job chapter 1, verse 8, the, the Lord said that there is no one like Job being blameless, upright, and avoiding evil. So he avoided immorality. Uh, In Ezekiel 14 and 14, one of the prophets under the anointing of God used three people of examples of godly men, Noah, Daniel, and Job. So he's, wow, pretty good guy. Anybody say amen? And so uh, his holy lifestyle was recognized not by man, but by God. And let me tell you, if you want anybody's approval, you want his. Um, Notice his revelation of Jesus was a clear proclamation. Even in the midst of his time of suffering, uh, Job 19 and 25, he says, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last upon the earth. And he did. 
Jesus came. Anybody say amen? The Redeemer came, and He stood upon the planet. Uh, another trait of Job is his heart of repentance was without pride. In 42 and 6 that we read, he said, in the NIV, he says, Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. So with all the, the good positive traits in Job's life, the question is, what was his sin? And what is the sin that is a challenge for every one of us today? To identify Job's sin, we must first listen to God's correction. Okay, so I'm going I'm to build this case to where when I get to the end, I think you'll agree with me. Notice with me God's correction of Job in Job 38, 1 through 7. It says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you. This is God talking to Job. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Uh, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding, who determined its measure? Can you see God is kind of, he's a little bit sarcastic. Yeah. Uh, God's got a sense of humor. If you don't believe it, look down that pew. <laughs> um, who determines its measurements? Surely you know. See, he's kind of being sarcastic. Or who strengthened the line upon them? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Uh, if you'll notice with me, uh, through chapters 38 and 39, again, that's a good homework assignment. Uh, in 38 and 39, God asked Job a series of questions. I mean, this is just the beginning. Uh, you read all of chapter 38 and 39, man, God just hits Job with question after question. He, he asked him about creation, weather, seasons, death, traits in animal life, asked him about wisdom, understanding. I mean, he just shoots Job question, question after question. God challenged Job to answer these questions and discover if his knowledge and understanding was equal to his, God. Uh, here, here, let me ask you this question. You think you're so smart. And then he shoots him with question, question, to be able to get Job to come to a place of understanding. Job did come to that place. He came to this place of understanding in Job chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. The understanding of a Job was, is this, I need to shut up. Have you ever wanted to tell anybody, you just need to shut up? Well, this is Job. Uh, then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. I am vile. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth. Once I have spoken, but I will not answer. Yes, twice, but I will not proceed any further. I will proceed no further. In other words, I'm going to shut my mouth, and I'm going to keep it shut. Yeah. He came to that understanding. Okay, now please get this. Then God came back after that recognition. Now, this is critical for you to understand the sin of Job, because I'm going to tell you what the sin is, and you're going to realize it's one that you're dealing with, I'm dealing with, and so I, I want to lay the foundation before I get there. Uh, if you will, God's dealing with Job in the midst of his sin. And notice with me, in Job 46 through 14, it says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Now, pre oh, now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Would you indeed annul my judgment? Would you condemn me that you may be justified? Have you an arm like God, or can you thunder with a voice like His? 
Then adorn yourself with majesty and splendor and array yourself with glory and beauty. Can you disperse the rage of your wrath? Look, look on anyone who is proud and humble him. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low. Can you do these things? Can you tread down the wicked in their place, hide them in the dust together, bind their faces in hidden darkness? Then I will also confess to you that your own right hand can save you. If you can do these things, then I'm going to say, you can save yourself. You probably don't even need me, God. That's what God is saying. Uh, God rebuke Job continues over into chapter 41. So that's a great homework assignment. But this is, let's, sum, let's summarize it because I want to keep your attention and, and get to the, the meat of the message. What was Job's sin? This is what God just did. God challenged Job with questions that he could not answer. God corrected Job's questioning as an insult to his sovereignty. God condemned Job for attempting to act like he was God. He was deity. See, the question again, what was Job's sin? And here it is. Job believed God owed him all the answers. That was his sin. Job's sin, and it's a sin that you deal with, it's a sin that I deal with, and listen to me, church, we need to recognize that it's a sin. It's a sin for you to think that God owes you all the answers. Uh, God challenged Job. God corrected Job. God condemned Job, not because of immorality, not because of some weak commitment, not because of false religion, because we saw how God uh, gave him a thumbs up for that. What we find is God is right now condemning Job because of a sin. See, because he was convinced that he needed to have all the answers. For some reason, uh, Job had this arrogance Maybe it was because he was a believer. Maybe it because he was so holy. Maybe it was because he attended Lone Grove Assembly of God Church for 150 years. Okay, well, whatever it was, some reason, somehow he thought he was so holy and so above everybody else that God owed him the answers. And I'm going to tell you, church, that's sin. And I, I learned it in Job. Okay, let, let's see why we call it sin. Uh, this sin is so damaging. Number one, it destroys childlike faith. Um, when believers begin to think they need answers for everything, they're opening the door to unbelief. If, if you think you have to have an answer from God for everything, you're opening the door to unbelief. There are so many circumstances and situations and mysteries in life for which we will never have an answer. Now, I, I have been in ministry for a number of years. I've read uh, the Bible through cover to cover a number of times. I'm not going to tell you how many times because I'm not competitive, but just trust me, I've done it a number of times. I've read a, a few different translations. I've done the NIV. I've done the New King James Version. I'm in the CEV now, and, and I've, I've done a few of them. And so my point being is, is this. The more I study God's Word, the dumber I feel. Can anybody say Amen. I mean, the, the, just the more I study and the more, more I find out, I don't know. Okay? Now, this is my point. There are so many circumstances and situations and mysteries in this life 
that you will never have the answer. Like, for example, why do believing Christians lie on a sickbed deteriorating with cancer? Another question. Uh, Why do babies and innocent children suffer with disease and accidents to destroy their young lives? Uh, How can someone who has tasted of the goodness of the Lord turn their back on Christ and go back into sin? That's beyond me. Uh, Why are there waves of revival? I can tell you as a pastor for 42 years, revival comes in waves. There's waves of revival. Uh, I I, want to say, why can't we just have a revival and just stay in one? Uh, Why doesn't everyone we pray for get healed? Another question. Uh, When is Jesus coming back? Okay. Uh, There are questions that if you expect the answers to, you're going to be disappointed. I mean, I'm not going to serve you if you can't answer this. Give it up. You're not going to know. Uh, Consider Scripture. You you know, and if you looked at Scripture from a position of looking for questions, uh, here, I'm I'm going to bait you. I'm going to give you meat to, to use. See, how can salvation be free but yet cost you everything? Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9 tells me it's a gift. Uh, it's a gift of grace. You don't earn it. You're saved by grace. But then when I read in Luke 14 and 13, Jesus says, if you're going to be one of my disciples, you're going to have to forsake everything and follow me. So how can salvation be free but yet cost me everything? Uh, another question. Uh, what is it that Jesus, why is it that Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And we ask, but he doesn't. Because I'm going to tell you, not every prayer I pray has been answered. Uh, and you're the same way. Not your head. I mean, you are. If not, if you tell me every prayer I pray is answered, then I'm going to say, let's go empty up the pediatrics intensive care unit right now. Forget church. Let's load up and go empty that hospital. Anybody say Amen. amen. I mean, let's not play religious. Let's get the fact. Uh, How can the dead in Christ rise first? First Thessalonians. How can the dead in Christ rise first when they're now in heaven? To be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. And, And what about those burn victims? And what about cremation? And how about those guys who drowned in the ocean during the war and got ate by the fish? Am I the only one that's ever asked these questions? (laughs) See, it's okay to say, this is my conclusion. It's okay to say, I don't know. And I'm going to tell you, it's even liberating. Very liberating to say, you know what? I just don't know. Um, Not knowing and not believing you have to know is a statement of faith. Can you say amen? amen? I don't know, and I don't believe I have to know. All I know is Jesus said he's coming back. Today, tomorrow, next week, a year from now, I don't, I don't give a rip. I just know he's coming back. Anyone who would say, give me a few minutes, and I'll give you all those answers to those questions, that's the arrogance of this sin. That's the people that are really engulfed in this sin. 
Matthew, if you will, please note with me, Matthew 18, 18, 2 and 3. It's there at the, uh, in that one. There we go. Matthew 18, 2 and 3. Jesus tells us that we need to humble ourselves and become like little children. Um, See, understand, there's someone bigger than you. In fact, I don't do this real often. In fact, I think it's the first time since I've preached nine weeks with you. I've asked you to repeat something after me. And if you don't want to participate, you don't have to. Um, this is what I'm going to ask you to say. There's someone bigger than me. Number one, two, three. There's someone bigger than me. There is. Another one good to repeat is, is this. There's someone who has everything figured out. Here we go. There is someone who has everything figured out. And let me add to that. It's not you. Uh, another one is this. There is someone who knows me and what I'm going through. Uh, let's repeat that. There is someone who knows me and knows what I'm going through. Well, that's good to know. Another thing that uh, I know in childlike faith is this. There is someone worthy of my trust. Would you repeat that with me? There is someone worthy of my trust. Because I, I think I've told you this before, and that is when faith lets you down, kick in trust. And I'm going to tell you, my faith doesn't always yield the results I want. Because honestly, everyone who came in this prayer line a while ago, if my faith yielded the results I want, next week you'd come back, every one of you would be standing up giving a testimony of how God ministered by faith to that need. So faith doesn't always give me the results I want. So when faith doesn't yield the results I want, then kicks in trust. Trust tells me God must know something I don't know. And the fact is, He does. He sees things from a totally different perspective. And so I trust him when my faith doesn't give the results I want. See, this sin is damaging. Uh, It destroys a childlike faith. And let's understand. Let's understand the sin. Let's understand, again, it's a sin. Let's just be honest and transparent. It's a sin I deal with on a regular basis. And I'd say there's a whole lot of people in the room. You deal with this sin on a regular basis. The sin of wanting to know some answers. Um, The next reason it's so damaging is it it removes the ability to receive of the supernatural. See, understand supernatural, super in front of, supernatural is beyond natural. It's not natural. That's why we call it supernatural. Supernatural is unexplainable. If you could explain it, it wouldn't be supernatural. Supernatural goes against logic. Supernatural goes against reason. It goes against understanding. See, when that doctor went in and and, uh, did that second CAT scan just before taking my brother into surgery, he saw no tumor. He come in and and told my brother, he said, hey, I'm sorry, you know, we thought it was there. And now we, and the reality is he was explaining supernatural. Uh, the doctor couldn't say, okay, here's the reason why it's not there. He said, well, we don't know. I just don't know. It was there last week and now it's gone. Are you with me? There's no logic to it. There's no explanation. Why? Because it's supernatural. Now understand this, this sin comes against your belief, your expectation of the supernatural. Because your little pea brain, my little pea brain, our finite brain, cannot wrap our heads around the supernatural. We can't explain it. It's supernatural. 
<laughs> okay? If you would, please, let's get real specific. Healings are supernatural. In Acts chapter 3, when at the gate beautiful, when, if you remember with me, Peter and John was going into the, uh, to have prayer. Uh, they were met there by a man who had been lame from birth, and now he's some 40 years old, and silver and gold we don't have, but what we do have in the name of Jesus, rise and walk, and he walked. That's supernatural. If you will, miracles are supernatural. Uh, Acts chapter 12, remember, P I love this story. Peter was in jail, and there was a jailbreak by an angel, broke him out of prison. Uh, and there were people praying. And remember, uh, Peter went and knocked on the uh, uh, door. A little lady came, uh, I think her name was Rhoda or somebody, came to the door. And when she came to the door, she saw Peter, then left, left the door shut and ran and told everybody else, you know, and said, Peter's at the door. We'll, we'll let him in, you know. And so we went and opened the door and let him in. Uh, uh, they were surprised God answered the prayer. Yeah. Are you with me? Why? Because it's supernatural. Uh, Peter was up to be killed the next day. And you could explain that away because it was a guy that was in, uh, in charge that was killing Christians. And, and Herod wanted to kill Peter. He, he got glory for killing James. Let's, do, let's kill Peter. And so that's all explainable. But now Peter's released. Now Peter's out. There's no way to explain that. Because God did it. If you will note with me, uh, casting out uh, or baptism of the Holy Spirit is supernatural. If you're one of those that say this, say, I could never speak with tongues because I've got to understand what I'm saying. Forget it. Just don't even seek it. You can't, you can't seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit and expect to have to understand every part of it. Because there's so much, if, if you could figure God out, then he would be too little. I don't want to figure out my God. He's far too big. His, if you want to go biblical, his ways are past my finding out. His knowledge is past my understanding. Uh, uh, if you will, please, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, speaking with other tongues, is supernatural. Um, casting out demons is supernatural. It is. I think it's going to escalate in the last days of the church. We're going to see more and more escalation of, of demon possession in the church. People coming to church demon-possessed, and they're going to be coming wanting to be delivered. Uh, and we've got to get ready for church. Amen. I believe we're going to go out like we came in. Are, are you with me? Uh, when we came in as a church, go to Acts, and notice with me what was happening. And I believe we're going to go out as the raptured church like we came in. We're going to go out in a revival. Amen. Now, there's going to be people like we came in in Acts. There's going to be people killed because they're a Christian. We're seeing that today. There's going to be a total rejection of the church just like we saw in Acts, but the church that is the true church of Jesus Christ, this is what you can expect with your next pastor, is this place to go into revival and be an awakening in this church prior to the return of Christ. Uh, Jesus Christ is coming back for what kind of church? Without spot or wrinkle. It's time for us to quit playing church and start being the church. Amen? And, and understand, get ready, the supernatural is coming even in a greater measure. Uh, notice with me, though, the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, they are supernatural. I know some people think that uh, all the gifts of the Spirit are listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, but they're not. You know, go to Romans chapter 12, there's another listing of gifts. Go to Ephesians chapter 5, there's another listing of gifts. The reality is uh, there's some gifts that aren't even listed, like the gift of leading in worship. 
like Julie has. Uh, the gift of ushering and being a, a greeter in the foyer, that's a gift. Some people have it, some people don't. And when you see somebody trying to do something that's not their gifting, try to put them somewhere else. You don't want, you, you don't want a sourpuss in the foyer greeting people coming in. Amen. So, but notice with me and understand what we see is the gifts of the Spirit, they are supernatural. If you have to understand every aspect about speaking in tongues and interpretation in tongues, I've got to understand it before I'm going to do it, then you'll never do it. It's a step of faith. See, when you have to have all the answers, you remove the ability to receive something you don't understand. Um, you will not understand healings. Amen. You'll not understand miracles. You'll not understand baptism in the Holy Spirit. You'll not understand casting out demons. You're not going to understand operating in a spiritual gift. We remove the ability to receive the supernatural when we have to know everything and when we have to understand it. This is the problem we see in America. Please understand this. In our spiritual, right now, our spiritual downfall is in our well-educated, advanced, sophisticated society that we live in, we think God owes us the answers. Yeah. This is why we're seeing miracles in Africa and not in America. Because when you go to Africa, I've been to Africa, we built a church there and I got to preach there a couple of times. And the, and the reality is when you go to Africa, there was people who walked two miles in the dark without a light anywhere. And I, I've never seen the dark as dark as it was in Africa when, when we went outside after the tent revival that I just preached at. Uh, thank God the car had lights. But when we turned those lights, I'd never seen it that dark. And people would walk two miles to a tent with a dirt floor, throw out a piece of plywood, and then they start dancing and worshiping the Lord. And the reality is they see miracles in Africa we don't today. Why? I believe the sin of America is I've got to know all the answers. It's our downfall. Well, I'm too sophisticated for that. If you can't explain it to me, I ain't going to do it. God help us. Um, we need to get back to the simple childlike faith. The childlike faith of if Jesus provided for it, then I'm going to believe it and I'm going to receive it. We need a childlike faith. If the early church did it, then we need to be doing it too. Uh, are you with me? We need a childlike faith. If it's found in God's Word... If God's Word supports it, now I'm going to tell you there's some churches do things that are not supported in God's Word. But if it's in God's Word, let's do it. Let's expect the miracles. Let's expect the, the manifestations of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Uh, let's anticipate and expect tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy, healing, miracles. Uh, let, let's anticipate God showing up and God moving in our meetings in a childlike faith. Not because we got it all figured out. Thank God nobody here on this platform has got a program. I didn't give anybody one. And so the reality is, is this. We show up in a Pentecostal church wanting God to move like God wants to move, when God wants to move, doing what God wants to do. That's a childlike faith. I don't have it all figured out. Thank God I don't. I don't want to figure it out. I just want to be obedient. I want a childlike faith to do what God wants me to do when He wants me to do it. 
Uh, my prayer on a constant is why I'm here right now. My prayer is this. God, put me where you want me to be, when you want me to be there, doing what you want me to do. And I believe I'm here right now with you prior to your next pastor because what God is telling me to do for you is to get you ready for him. And say, it should not be when he comes, he has to drag a bunch of dead wood, you know, and try to get you alive. It ought to be when he comes. Some of y'all don't like this. Y'all are frowning at me. Well, hey, I'm, you're not voting on me anyway, so I don't give a rip. Yeah. But what my burden is, is to get you alive, wake you up to when he comes. Man, you're just ready to go where God leads him. God is going to give you a pastor. Come tonight if you can, because it's holding on to the promises of God. God is going to give you a pastor. And I believe that God's giving you one that God wants to take this church to the next level. Thank God for all the previous pastors. Thank God for every one of them. There's no competition. But the reality is what we're anticipating is the next one. What God is going to do through that individual, who that is, uh, let, let's just kind of be an example of this message. Who that is, I don't know. I can tell you the deacon board, I don't know. None of us know right now. Are you with me? But we have a childlike faith, and that when he shows up, God's going to show up with him. Amen. See, it is liberating to say, I don't know, and I don't care that I don't know. I don't have to know. Anybody say amen? amen? Some of you are having problems with this message. I can tell by watching you. But it is liberating to say, hey, I don't know. Thank God. Uh, this sin is damaging. It destroys childlike faith. It removes receiving the supernatural. And number three, it replaces the heart motivation of hunger for Jesus. Here's my question to you. What motivates you? Why are you even here? Why did you come to church? What is your motivation? See, I, 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 in counseling and in, me, in my personal life, I always look at everything from the perspective of what's the motivation here? What is your motivation in your relationship with Jesus Christ? If you were to tell me my motivation is to have it all figured out, I'll tell you, you're wrong. Um, when your motivation is answers for your head, then you lose the hunger for Jesus in your heart. Right. Uh, your thirsting for Jesus should come from your heart and not your head. Uh, your motivation towards Jesus should be a love relationship, amen. not a head knowledge. Amen. Anybody say amen? If you're here just because, now my wife was raised Church of Christ and I have a lot of respect for those people, but the reality is they believe in nothing as far as the supernatural, nothing as far as the moving of the Holy Spirit, and they are very much a head knowledge. And when they make reference to you becoming a Christian, you make a decision for Christ. It's a decision, all head knowledge. Understand this, you cannot, you can know about Jesus without knowing him. There's a difference. There's a difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing him in a personal, intimate love relationship. Notice with me Mark 12 and 30. Uh, this is Jesus speaking. He said, and you shall know, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, 
with all your mind and with all your spirit. Do you see the emphasis you should love? You should love the Lord with every aspect of your life. Your motivation should be love. In 1 Corinthians 2 and 9, eyes have not seen nor ear heard nor has even entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who what? Love him. See, our motivation in, in religion, the only reason you're here is because you love Christ. Uh, the only reason I'm here is because I love Jesus and I'm going to be obedient to him, be all he wants me. I love him. He's my best friend. Understand, remember when Jesus arose from the dead and he met with the disciples and, and then he went, uh, they were on a beach and if you remember with me, uh, they were even out fishing and, and then they recognized that it's Christ and, and then they made their way to land and Jesus had uh, uh, some fish cooked for them and he said, you know, come and dine and, and um, they ate together and, and then Jesus and, and it was Jesus, John and Peter kind of went for a walk and walked off and and then John kind of went off to one side, then it's just Jesus and Peter. And when Jesus and Peter, this is Jesus arose from the dead, this is in his glorified, he's, he's now back uh, without the physical limitations of a body. He's there walking with Peter. What is it that he asked Peter? He says, Peter, do you love me? Now, when you study those Greek words, it's very critical to have an understanding of what Jesus is doing. Because uh, Jesus says, uh, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter says, Lord, I filio you. And Jesus walked, that's why I asked him three times. Walked a little bit further on and Jesus says, uh, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter said, Lord, I filio you. And then he went a little bit further, and then and Jesus said, Peter, do you agape me? And then Peter slows down, and, he, and I can see Peter in tears. He says, Lord, you know. I feel you. What it was was this. Jesus knew that this was a wounded disciple. He had just denied Christ three times. Jesus didn't say, Peter, are you not going to deny me again? Right. Hey, hey, Peter, are you going to stand for me next time? Yeah. He said, Peter, do you love me? And the reality is that last time Jesus asked Peter, notice the Greek words. Again, it is not agape the last time. He brings it down to filio because he understands that Peter is at a place. Filio is brotherly love. Agape is love without reservation. Agape love is love without any type of restraint, restriction. It is a divine love. Agape love is the love that God has for us. Thank God for that. But the last time Jesus said, do you filio me? And Peter crying says, Lord, you know all things. You know, I filio you. So that was bringing Peter to the understanding that his love was not where it needed to be, but it was a love that Jesus could at that time accept. Yeah. I'm going to tell you, thank God for the mercy of God. Amen. Thank God that Jesus will meet you where you are. You may be here this morning and say, hey, I can't, I can't agape him, but I can't filio him. That's a starting point. Yeah. 
I, I will tell you that probably 90% of us start out in this Christian walk with a filial love, a very fragile love. We grow to an agape love that is an unchanging love. I'm a loving regardless. Yeah. Are you with me? Yeah. Uh, the filial love is I love you because you're my friend and you, you act right and be right and you get me heaven and out of hell and then I love you. You know, that's filial love. Agape love is I love you regardless. If I've got cancer, I love you. If my wife dies, I still love you. If I lose one of my grandkids, I still love you. Understand, when we have to have all the answers and it's motivated by head, you lose everything I just talked about. If you're here this morning looking at your watch going, hey, it's about time for us to get out of here. We've got to beat the Baptist down to the restaurant. And, and I'm just here to be able to put in my little religious duty. I'm putting in my hour. I'm going to tell you, you know nothing about what I'm talking about, love. You're motivated by your head. You're just checking something else off the list. Understand, what we need is this. We need deliverance from the sin of Job. We need to identify it. You, you, you need to be honest with yourself, because I'm going to tell you, if you don't identify this sin and repent of it, it will destroy you. Uh, I will tell you, my wife and I, uh, you know, just being real transparent with you, this is a sin that we have dealt with in our home because I don't want my home to be, we are educated. Paul's got a degree from TU. I got a degree from Southwestern Assembly of God University. You can get all this head knowledge, head knowledge, and we live in such an information culture. And man, I'm constantly saturated with news and knowledge and knowledge and knowledge. And it's so easy to get puffed up. Have you ever seen anybody that was educated far past their common sense? And the reality is they just think they're so stinking smart that I'm above all the rest of you. I'm going to tell you, you've got to deal with this sin. It will destroy you. It'll take away your childlike faith. It'll keep you from enjoying the supernatural. And it will replace your love relationship for God. It'll go to the head, not the heart. I'm going to tell you, and just to be honest, transparent with you, there's a number of you that are dealing with this sin. Don't let the enemy tell you that God, you deserve all the answers from God. You got to be willing to move forward when you don't even know where you're going. That's Abraham. You got to be willing to take steps towards what you believe with God's leading us this way. This, this will help you understand your deacon board and what they've been going through. God's leading us this way, and, and we don't really know where we're going, but we're just going to start moving this direction. And I'm going to tell you, that's so hard to do, especially if you're a hardhead like me who likes to know the end from the beginning. I'm going to confess this sin. This is a sin I deal with. I don't like it. I don't want it. I'm going to repent of it this morning. And I pray that God would touch your heart to where you can see this is a sin that you're dealing with also. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you, Lord, that you've allowed us to see Job and what happened to him. 
Thank you, Lord, that through studying that we can see the, the sin of Job. And thank you, Lord, that the end of Job was greater than the beginning, that you blessed him because he did come to the place of just keeping his mouth shut. He did come to the place of recognizing that he's just a man and you, you are God. Lord, I pray for us this morning that, Lord, you'd reveal to us the truth of where we are in you. And may we see truth in dealing with this sin. In Jesus' name. Congregation, would you stand with me, please? I got one last thing. Would you put that back up there for me, please? I've got one last thing I want to show you about Job. Will you look at that screen? When you look at the beginning of Job's life, in chapter 1, he had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 oxen, and 500 donkeys. When you look at 42 and 12, it tells us that God gave exactly double. What Job, if Job was standing in front of you today, he would tell you something like, I believe something like this. He'd say, knowing everything is not the best route. Trusting God is the best route. Because when he got to the place that he quit trying to have all the answers and God kind of put him in his place by drilling him with all these questions, Job going, well, I don't, I don't, I don't know, I don't know. Then he humbled Job. And then Job just trusted him. And then the end of Job was twice as good as the beginning. I'm going to tell you, look at me, please. This is what God wants to do for you. And this is what God wants to do for this church. God wants this next pastor season. None of us pastors are forever. Are you with me? We're all temporary. Right? Okay, the reality is you're going to have another season, though, with this next pastor. This next season with this pastor, let's believe that it's going to be the greatest season of this church. Why? Because we're going to trust. We're going to trust in him. Do we have all the answers? No. Do, do, do we have it all figured out? Wow. You don't. I don't. But I know somebody who does. And I want to tell you also in your personal life, you find yourself in a circumstance right now that you're battling and you're needing some answers in your life. I'm going to tell you, there's a source. And, and, and when you come to the place, you just go, man, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. You're right, honestly, where God wants you to be. Because you don't know doesn't mean he doesn't know. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I pray that right now any that are here this morning that need you as Lord and Savior, that, Lord, you would break down every wall, remove every barrier between them and you. And, Father, I pray that even right now there would be in this sinner's prayer any that are here lost without you, right now would be their time of salvation. With heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around, I'm going to give you, this congregation, an opportunity to come to Christ. Maybe you need to rededicate your life to him or maybe you're accepting Christ for the very first time. There's so many things about you I don't know, but God knows. And if you're here this morning, you want to rededicate your life to the Lord, I'd love to pray with you, with you standing right there where you are. I'm not going to ask you to walk to the front. I'm going to just pray with you there. And you're going to rededicate your life to Jesus. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Just let me know. I'm here this morning. I need to rededicate my life to Christ. Any at all. There may be somebody by way of live stream because someone may have just 
come across this message. I don't want to end this message without praying a sinner's prayer. Because if you'll pray this prayer, meaning it from your heart, you're going to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I'm going to ask this congregation, congregation, you're right now going to be active in leading someone to Christ. And if you would, just for a moment, somebody's at home, somebody's maybe in a hotel room, uh, they've got a laptop, maybe even on their phone, they just listened to this message and now they're accepting Christ. And you're going to help me lead them to Christ. And if you would, pray this prayer. Pray with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sin and help me live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. And let's give God glory for every salvation, every salvation. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Okay, now here comes the hard part, and that is your turn to do something. And it's not go get in your car and leave. It's come to an altar of prayer. We said this house is a house of prayer. Now, all of us, all of us need to identify this sin. All of us need to identify how the enemy wants to use this to keep us from being everything God wants us to be. I can confess for me, I can't confess for you. You have to confess for you. But I'm gonna ask you if you'd like to come around the front of this church, I'd like to ask every deacon to be the first ones coming because God bless you and God keep you. And then every leader in this church, would you come and let's just gather around the front of this church, let's seek God together. Father, right now, we turn this meeting into a prayer meeting. And Lord, we just don't know. There's so much we don't understand. There's so much we don't know. But it is so good to know that you do. It's so good to know that you know the end from the beginning. Even right now, you know the next pastor for this church. Even right now, you know the number of souls that are going to be saved through this ministry, the ministry of this church. Even right now, you know those that will be in eternity forever because of the ministry of this church. There's so much we don't know. But it's so good to know you. It's so good to live for you and to trust you to place our confidence in you. Father, we ask for the leading, the guiding of your Holy Spirit for the deacons. God, direct them and guide them. We, we ask for the right candidate to come. And, and Lord, we ask for the leading of the body. And God, bring a unity to this body like never before. May, may there be no division, no strife, no contention, no jealousy, no envy. May this body come together as one. Father, forgive us. Forgive us of the sin of Job. Forgive us, Lord, for having to have all the answers. Forgive us, Lord, for feeling like we deserve to know. Forgive us.
Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Congregation, would you stand with me, please? And would you just join me? Let's worship the Lord together. Lord, we bless you. We magnify you. Lord, it is so good to know you. It is so good to have our lives yielded, submitted, and surrendered to you. Thank you for the leading, the guiding of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your constant. You are our faithful. You are our trustworthy. You never leave. You never forsake. You're that constant in our lives. And Lord, we worship you. We pray your blessing upon this congregation. We pray that you'd bring us back tonight to receive of your word. And Father, we pray your, your direction, your leading, and your will be done for this church and this next pastor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless your heart, church family. Love you all. Bless your heart.